the fifth element, five, the fifth element. And we're going to begin in extremely familiar territory. Some of you may even have the verses memorized. Very familiar territory. But we're going to wind up in, a, in an area that may not be quite so familiar, quite so dismissible, or even quite as comfortable as some of us might like for it to be. Matthew chapter 13, if you would please turn there with me. Matthew chapter 13. We all know as soon as I say that, right? Parable of the sower. We, we understand the story. But like I said, we're going to start familiar, but then I'm going to give you something to think about that you may not have thought about before. <clears throat> it is important that we set the context. Even if you know this passage, please follow along. Matthew 13, verses 1 through 9. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. Great multitudes were gathered together to him, so he got into a boat and sat, and a whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, the sower went out to sow. And of course, that was in the days when they just sprinkled seed everywhere. And as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. Birds came and devoured those. Some fell on stony places where they didn't have much earth, and, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. When the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some 30. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. You may remember that phrase from this morning's lesson. The same parable, along with its explanation, is found in both the Gospel according to Mark chapter 4 and the Gospel according to Luke chapter 8. Continuing on, verse 10. And the disciples came and said, why do you speak to them in parables? The question is basically, why don't you just come out and give it to them straight? And Jesus had a reason for that. He answered and said to them, because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. That's the reason, or therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing, they do not see. And hearing, they don't hear, nor do they understand. And in them, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, hearing you will hear, shall not understand it, and seeing, you will see, and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears a heart of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. Just a couple of, of quick things here. Jesus spoke to them in parables, but he didn't do that because he's a respecter of persons. We've been promised that if we seek, we'll find, right? And so he speaks in parables so that those that really want to know 
what he's talking about will do just what the disciples did here in verse 10. They'll come and they'll ask questions. We are to seek. It is an effort that we must put forward. And so he speaks in parables because those that really don't care to know Jesus anyway, it's like they're just going to see it as some cute little story and walk away. Jesus wants those who are interested enough to seek. And indeed he said, this people's hearts have grown dull. They don't really, they're not interested. He says their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes, and this is key, they have closed. Jesus said, I didn't do this. They closed their own eyes. They closed their own ears. They closed their own hearts. Jesus said, if they turn, I'd heal them. But they've done this to themselves. They don't really care what it says, so they don't discover the secrets because they're in these parables and they don't even care to check them out and question them and learn. I hope that there are none among us, meaning among us and among those who may ever watch this live stream, who, because of maybe familiarity with the text we're discussing tonight, will close our eyes and ears to the vital point at the end of this lesson. Verses 16 and 17. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. You see, the disciples were interested. They asked questions. They had opened their own eyes. They wanted to know. They had opened their ears. For assuredly, verse 17, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and didn't see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Just like with the churches in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, as well as what the Lord Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount, there are vast and overwhelming, overwhelming blessings that are given to those who will hear and listen to and take to heart and do what God's word says. That's a promise we see throughout scripture. But, but for those who do not take it in, seek it, hear it, learn from it, and do it, there is no such blessing. Therefore, because they've asked in verse 10. Therefore, he's going to explain it to them, verse 18. He says, hear the parable of the sword. Here's what I'm talking about. And as we all know, good illustration of a parable is a set of train tracks. Pair. Two. A parable. A pair of, of rails that run side by side, that's what a parable is. It is, a, it is an earthly story that illustrates or runs side by side with a spiritual truth and it's used to explain it. That's what a parable is. And so he said, here's, here's what the parable is. Not that they had train tracks in those days. Don't go home and say, Doug thought they had train tracks when Jesus was, that's not the point. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower, verse 18. He said, here it comes, here's the four types. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it. Now, keep in mind, he's not talking about people that are not able to process it. That's not what he's talking about. He has just explained that they've done what? They've closed their eyes, they've closed their ears. The reason they don't understand it is because they don't want to understand it. What did Jesus tell them at one point? I wanted to draw you in like a chick gathers her hens, but you were not willing. That's what this is about. It's a willingness to open their eyes and ears. He said, when they hear the word of the kingdom, they don't understand it. The wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who receives seed by the wayside. This is that seed that got over there on the, where it just couldn't grow. And the birds just came and plucked it up because it couldn't sink into the soil. 
But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. This person, you may have seen something. They come, they're only here for a little bit, and they, they, they respond to the gospel, and they get baptized, and they're just right into it. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a little while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. There's no real root there. There's, there's nothing that's really grabbed on hard to the truth. And so for whatever persecution may come their way when they're trying to live for God, they just stumble. That's the second one. Third one. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. And I think sometimes we like to look at that one and we say, well, you know, it's talking about the deceitfulness of riches. And so that really isn't me because, you know, I'm kind of a, you know, common worker. And, yeah, I'm not, you know, the richest man in the world, but I'm not really after all that stuff. But, but we forget the other part of this. It's not just the deceitfulness of riches. It's the cares of the world. The cares that come our way every day kind of choke out the word. And that person becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit, who indeed bears fruit and produces. Some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, as we look at that, I also want to take a brief look at Luke's account because he has a little different wording. So please turn to me to Luke 8. Luke 8, beginning in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. I mean, Luke comes out and he's a little clearer with that. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and takes away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive it with joy. These have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of temptation, fall away. The ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares. There's that cares of the world again. Riches and pleasures of life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who, having heard the word with a noble and good heart, keep it and bear fruit with patience. So again, we see there's four categories of seed receiving soil. We know what they are. We're familiar with that. Now, if I were to ask everybody in here, what category do you fall into? If I were to ask myself as well, what category do you fall into? Well, I'm pretty sure that every Christian, every Christian who ever will hear this lesson probably wants to see themselves and does at this moment, even if it's through the process of elimination, of being in the fourth category. After all, who'd want to be in the other? If you'd rather be in one of the first three than the fourth, please raise your hand. Exactly. So we all kind of, we prefer to be in the fourth one. We picture ourselves in the fourth one. Christians hearing this, same way. So I want to take a little closer look at category number four. Not what's behind door number three, but category number four. Consider this wording. Luke said of category four people, these are those, 
Luke 8, 15, who keep the word and bear fruit and bear fruit with patience or endurance, depending on your version. Matthew says category four are those who indeed bear fruit and produce. Matthew 13, 23. This as opposed to those in Luke 8, 14 who bring no fruit to maturity due to their preoccupation with worldly instead of spiritual pursuits. Now, one of the things that I want us to think about as we consider fruit, because category four people produce fruit as opposed to those who bring no fruit to maturity, what's fruit? I could have brought all kinds of fruit in, but I didn't. Because I didn't want anybody to think I was going to start throwing fruit at them, okay? I always used to say at the last congregation I preached in, the farmers would bring in produce and they'd leave it by the door. And if they had tomatoes or cucumbers when it was garden time, they'd leave it there and say, please don't put that stuff out until after the service is over because it scares me when you've got a room full of Christians with tomatoes. Okay. What is fruit? Fruit is tangible, touchable, testable, and measurable. Think about that. It is a tangible, touchable, testable, measurable commodity. We would notice, for instance, in Luke's account, in Luke 8, notice this. Right after he gets done talking about the fruit, in Luke 8, 11 through 15, then he goes into this. He says, no one, when he has lit a lamp, covers it with a vessel or puts it under a bed, but sets it on a lampstand that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is secret that will not be revealed or anything hidden that will not become known and come to the light. Take heed, therefore, how you hear. Now, I realize it's talking about light, and I understand light is not a fruit. I get that, okay? But he comes right out of talking about fruit to talking about his next illustration of the same truth and saying, but it's visible, it's tangible, it's something you can see the light. You can see when a person has lit a lamp. It gives light to everybody around. Well, the fruit's the same way. It's all the same context. Fruit is touchable, tangible, visible output. It is producing. Not only can fruit be seen, what else can fruit be? can be examined, can it? You ever see the ladies in the supermarket, or the guys, knocking on watermelon? You're supposed to knock, I'm not the only one that's heard that, right? You knock on a watermelon, see, you, yeah, okay. Knocking on watermelon, right? It's like, hello, okay? They're testing the fruit. Or you see somebody pouring over the bananas and they're looking for brown spots. Fruit is testable. It's not just tangible, it is testable. Fruit needs to be tested and determined to be either good or bad. That can happen with fruit. Here's the thing. Jesus time and again taught the essentiality of the requirement of the Lord God Almighty that one must constantly bring fruit to maturity if they want to go to heaven for eternity. Jesus taught this over and over and over and over again about fruit, about how it has to be there. For example, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, it says, Beware of false prophets 
who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. You know what the next line says? Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you will know them. Does that sound pretty serious to you? It does to me. Jesus talked again and again and again and again about fruit production. Turn with me to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Beginning at verse 33. Look at verses 33 and 4. He tells them another parable, another familiar one, hopefully. Matthew 21, 33, here another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a tower. He leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. When vintage time grew near, he sent his servants to the vine dressers that they might receive its fruit. Now, the parable that Jesus is telling here is about the nation of Israel, about the Jews, how he set a hedge around them, they were his people, and he expected for them to produce fruit. We know from the rest of the parable that they were not going to give him the fruit that he had set them up to deliver. They weren't going to do it. Look in verse 40. Jesus says, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine dressers? What will he do to those vine dressers who would not produce fruit and give him the fruit? that he set them up to produce. They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruit. Fruit is extremely important. Again and again we see this in scripture. Look at verse 43 of Matthew 21. Therefore I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you the Old Testament Jews under the Old Testament covenant, and given to a nation bearing the fruits of it. What was going to be the difference? This other nation would bear fruits like you're not bearing. Finally, if you'll turn to me to Luke 13. Look at verses 6 through 9. And, and as you thread these together and you look at them, maybe you never stop to think just how important this word fruit was in the teaching of Jesus and, and how important it is that we produce it. But, but he brought this up from several different directions several times. He says in Luke 13, 6, he spoke this parable. Here's another parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in the vineyard. He came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keepers of his vineyard, look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? Is producing fruit important to him? He needs to cut this thing down. It's useless. It's not doing me any good because I can't get any fruit out of it. But he answered and said to him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit well, but not after that, I'm sorry, but if not after that, you can cut it down. The vine dresser said, let me, let me do this one more time. Let me, let me dig around it. We'll put some fertilizer around it. We'll see if we can get this thing to produce. Just a little more. And if not, then we can cut it down. And did you know 
that this is not a new concept in the New Testament. This is not an idea that Jesus just came up with out of the blue one day. This is not something different from anything that God has been talking about for a long time. Turn to me in your Bibles to Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah chapter 17. This is quite the passage here on fruitfulness. And the production of fruit is the dividing line between the good and the wicked in this passage. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5. Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. Well, well how can you tell, Jeremiah, if a man's heart is departed from the Lord? Verse 6. For he should be like a shrub in the desert, and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness, which is a salt land, in a salt land which is not inhabited. But by contrast, verse 7, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, and whose hope is in the Lord. Well, how are we going to be able to tell who that is, Jeremiah? For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters, which spreads out its roots by the river. He will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. You see the difference? He said the roots on the good tree are going to go down deep. And it's not going to matter how much heat comes. It's not going to matter when the drought comes because this one is going to continue to yield fruit, nor will cease from yielding fruit. King Solomon said something pretty interesting in Proverbs 11 and verse 30. He said, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Did you know soul winning is in the Old Testament? A lot of people maybe didn't know that. Soul winning is in the Old Testament. Again, Proverbs 11 and verse 30. The fruit of the righteous, tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Well, what is the soul winning in the Old Testament seen as a part of? Seen as a part of the fruit produced by the righteous in that text. Look what the psalmist has to say regarding the righteous and their fruit in, in Psalm 92. Psalm 92. We'll get to what fruit is here in a minute. Psalm 92, it's all through the Bible. In Proverbs 31, 31, talks of the wonderful godly woman and wife. It says, give her the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gate. Again and again, familiar passages have this idea. Psalm 92 now, beginning at verse 12, look what it says. The righteous shall flourish like a palm tree. This righteous one shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. Do you see in this text what the psalmist is saying? He's saying, look, in the house of the Lord, age doesn't matter. Those old still produce fruit, verse 14. 
What kind of fruit? They will declare the Lord that he is upright and that he is their rock. Even the old Christians have this fruit to produce by continually telling others about how awesome their God is and how he has sustained them. And I'll tell you what, it's going to be a lot more impactful for a man who's 90, 95, 100, to stand before somebody and say, I've been a Christian since I was 14. Let me tell you what the Lord's brought me through than for some of us young folks to say that, right? If the man's standing there in front of you. We had a man at the last congregation I preached in was brought to the church by his girlfriend. She was a member, he wasn't. Some teen activities. He recently passed away at just past 90, and he was a member of that one congregation all of his life. Now, if he come out and told you how good the Lord was, that would carry some weight after all the things he had seen and done. The righteous never stop producing fruit, not even in their old age. So having said all of that, having seen that this fruit production is throughout the Bible, I want to go back to Luke 8. Go back to our discussion of the parable of the sower, which we started, Luke chapter 8. Let's go back there. We've learned a lot of lessons about how the need to produce fruit is there. We have established the fact that in the parable of the sower, the first three categories of soil listed were seedless, rootless, and fruitless. Those were the first three, seedless, rootless, and fruitless. We've also well established the fact that the fourth category or fourth element of people in the parable is the fruit producing folk. Those who have taken the word that has been preached to them into their hearts and they've decided based on that word they've taken into their hearts as it has begun to grow that they've got to produce fruit and they go out and they actually do. Some 100, some 60, some 30. They turn into the type of doers that Jesus talked about in the Sermon on the Mount and that James talked about. The fourth category Jesus mentions in the parable of the sower mandates, mandates, demands that those who are in it are those who are producing and maturing measurable fruit for the Lord. You see that? Is it possible to be in the church and not be cleansed of the blood by the blood? No. In order to be in the church, that's what the church is, those cleansed by the blood, right? Is it possible to be in category four without producing fruit? No, because category four is made up of those who produce fruit. Whether that fruit is, for those of you taking notes, grab your pencils. <laughs> Whether that fruit is the good fruits worthy of our repentance. Matthew chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. Luke chapter 3, verses 8 and 9 whether it is the always fulfilling fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22 and Ephesians 5.9, whether it is the peace providing fruit of righteousness in their lives, Hebrews 12.11 and James 3.18, or whether it's the bringing forth the fruit after their own kind, Genesis 1, that which Christians do. You know, God established that really early on that each one would bring forth after its own kind, right? That would be the fruit. So what do Christians bring forth? Other Christians. That's the fruit. 
Now, that's not the only fruit. Like I said, there's the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of righteousness. The Bible mentions these other kinds of fruit that I have, have uh, shown you and, and given you the text too. So there's more than one way we produce fruit, but we've got to be producing it. That's, that's the key. Because here's kind of the punchline. What about the fifth element, which is the title of tonight's sermon? What about the fifth element? What about a Christian who attends the assembly at least 50% of the Sunday mornings, contributes to the works of the church maybe occasionally once in a great while, if they got nothing better to do, shows kind of this lukewarm attitude but they really don't, really don't produce any measurable, visible, tangible fruit. They've not really fallen away. They've not really forsaken the assembly. I mean, they're here, they're you know, on the roll. You, know, you see them occasionally, maybe a little more than half the time on Sunday morning. But they're not really producing any real fruit either. What about them? What category would they fit into? Wouldn't they be in like the, the fifth category, the fifth element? They don't really fit into the fourth one because they're not producing any fruit. They're not growing. They're not doing. They're not producing. They seem to be about the same place in their Christianity they were five years ago. The fruit of the Spirit's not coming out. They just kind of stagnate and kind of there. Wouldn't that be the fifth element? Can't be the fourth one because in order to be the fourth one, you've got to be producing fruit. Here's the thing. They couldn't be in the fifth one. You know why? Fifth one doesn't exist. Really let that sink in. Really, really, really let that, let that sink in. There is no fifth element. So into which category does a Christian who produces no fruit in their lives that is visible, markable, tangible from where they were years ago, what category do they fit? Because there's only four, and eight and four, so where do they fit? Because everybody fits in one. You think Jesus left one out? You think maybe Jesus just kind of overlooked and left out two or three categories? No. You think he covered them all? Yeah. So if there's no fruit production, they're not in number four. The first three aren't a real good place to be, are they? Not in the eternal scheme of things. Whether we read the parable as recorded by Matthew, Mark, or Luke, all of the divinely inspired writers say the same thing. If we are not producing tangible, seeable, noticeable, and examinable fruit in measurable quantities, then we must be in one of the first three categories because there is no fifth one, and a fourth produces fruit. That makes sense. That makes sense to everybody. Not asking us to judge anybody, I'm just asking us, does that make sense? And when you really think about it, that's scary. It can be. Mark and Luke are not the only New Testament writers to confirm that that fourth category is comprised only of those producing measurable fruit for the Lord. In other words, there are other writers who tell us 
The faithful are the fruitful. For example, look at what the Apostle John says in John 15. He puts the same message across. I realize there's five categories to a hurricane, but there's only four categories to the parable of the sower. John 15, look what Jesus says. This barren fruit thing again. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every, that covers them all, branch in me. He's talking about Christians. He's talking about those in Christ. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. I don't know how familiar you are with that whole idea, but the idea is the same thing as you're just cutting it back. You're pruning. You prune the bushes so that they will be more productive, okay? But listen, if you were a plant, if you were a berry plant or you were a tree, and, and the vine dresser went to prune you, that would hurt. Wouldn't it hurt to have somebody clip one of your limbs off? I mean, that would hurt, right? Pruning hurts. Pruning is not pleasant, Okay? But God prunes us so that we will be more fruitful. It's the whole idea we see in Hebrews uh, chapter 12 about him disciplining us for our own good. It's that, it's that same idea. He's going to prune us if we're bearing fruit sometimes and we think, man, all I did was cause me a lot of pain. Look where I am now because I tried to go out and do something nice for the Lord. Guess what? If you're bearing fruit, you're going to get pruned. It's going to happen. If you're not bearing any fruit, look out. That's even worse. But he says... Verse 3, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We must abide in Jesus. To abide doesn't just mean live in Jesus. It means to put our roots down, to settle there, to stay put. That's what that word abide carries with it for meaning. Jesus said to those disciples who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. John 8, 31 and 2. That's what abiding is. He said, you've got to abide in me. I am the vine, verse 5, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. That's the importance of fruit production again. That's at category 4 of the sower. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you'll ask what you desire and it'll be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. He said, you want to glorify my Father? Then bear fruit. Prove that you're my disciples. The word is in you. I am in you. You're in me. The life is there. Jesus said in John 6, the words that I give you are spirit and life. He is our life. And if he abides in us and we in him, brethren, we've got we to gotta produce fruit. It's got to be tangible. If somebody looks at my life and says, Doug, I haven't seen any growth in you for the last five years. I'm overdue to be cut down and thrown into the fire. Think about it. That's scary stuff. Every branch in me, verse 2, that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He's talking to those in Christ. Look with me at what Paul wrote, the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1. Colossians 1. Verses 9 through 12. I mean, John, Matthew, Luke, Jeremiah. I mean, everybody's getting in on this thing. 
Now the Apostle Paul to our brethren in the Church of Christ in first century Colossae. Colossians 1, verses 9 through 12, look what he says. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. When is it time to stop learning about God? When is it time to stop growing in Christ? About two minutes after your last breath. He says to our brethren in first century Colossae, you've got to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. Listen. As we think about who God is and we think about pleasing him, it, it seems hard to understand. We can fully please him, but that's what he says, fully pleasing him. How do we fully please him, Paul? By being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, whether you're 10 or 110. Producing fruit and increasing in your knowledge. That is how we please God, being fruitful. That makes us one of those category four Portions of the parable of the sower. Instead of simply walking occasionally into the church building, these Christians that please God are continually walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. There's a difference between walking into the church building on a semi-regular basis and walking in a manner worthy of pleasing the Lord. The difference is fruit production. In the days to come, as the Lord's church gets back up to speed here in Shoto. We're gonna need a lot of fourth element or category four type fruit producers to step forward to produce fruit for the master. For example, we're gonna need every saint possible, every saint possible back in the pews to praise, encourage, and present the fruit of our lips together to God as one body. Once again, the fruit of our lips. Ephesians 5, 17 through 19, Colossians 3, 14 through 16, and Hebrews 13, 15. We, as we get back up to speed, as the classes go, as time goes by, we're gonna need teachers again. We're gonna need fruit producers those who can teach the word of God to our youth, to our adults. We're gonna need more. We're gonna need men to produce fruit by getting into the Wednesday night devotional rotation if they haven't already. And we're gonna need the constant personal evangelistic efforts of every Christian in the congregation to reach out and to seek the lost, to set up home Bible studies with them. We're gonna need that. We're going to need people to love and mentor our youth. We're going to need fruit producers, measurable, markable, tangible growth fruit producers. So the question is this. We're going to go to one more passage. Let me have you turn there first. Romans chapter 6 will be our final passage of the night. Please turn there. <coughs> The question of the night is this. 
There is no fifth element. Into which of the four parable of the sower categories do you fall tonight? There's forever and only four, not five. And the fourth one is comprised of fruit producers. Some 100, some 60, and some 30. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 20, Yes, in the beginning of chapter 6, he talks about the essentiality of baptism, dying, putting that old man of sin to death, buried in baptism, and raised to walk up in newness of life. And he continues that theme throughout the entire chapter, but he wraps it up this way, starting at verse 20. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit, here goes Paul again, comes this fruit thing again, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed. For the end of those things is death. But now, having been set free from sin, when were they set free from sin? When they obeyed that form of doctrine from the heart which they had been delivered. That's verses 17 and 18. When did they do that? When they were baptized into Christ. First four verses of Romans 6, it's all there. This is the wrap up of, of chapter six. But now, having been set free from sin, that is when they were buried with him in baptism, and having become slaves of God, you have your fruit to holiness and the end everlasting life. Everybody in this room that wants to go to heaven, raise your hand. The end is everlasting life. How do we get that? We get that because we become slaves of God and we have our fruit production. We produce fruit to holiness. We live for God. And in our lives, there's this fruit of peace. There's this fruit of the spirit. There's this fruit as we, as we reach out and, and try to bring forth after our own kind, that is Christians evangelistically, we're producing fruit. People can see it. We're doing everything we can to dig around that tree, to fertilize, to do whatever we have to do in order that it doesn't get chopped down. Are you a faithful, freedom-enjoying, fourth and final element fruit producer tonight? Are you? Only you can answer that. I certainly can. I have to answer it for myself. Are you? It begins and ends with humbling yourself before God. You humble yourself before God when you put that old man of sin to death and you're buried with him in the waters of baptism for the forgiveness of your sins. That's when you put that old man of sin to death, it takes humility to say, Lord, I need help. Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I can't make it to heaven without you. It takes humility. And then after you've done that, it takes humility as you go on to continue to understand, I need to grow. I need to stop living for myself. I need to produce fruit for God. It begins and ends with humbling ourselves before God. That is how we are faithful, freedom-enjoying, fruit-producing, fourth element Christians. He who has ears, let him hear. Matthew 13 and verse 9. If you've heard these things tonight and you've decided that you want to become a Christian, we'd love to baptize you into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're listening to this at any point in time over the next 150 years, 
Somebody would be glad to study with you from the Shoto Hills Church of Christ and see how to do that. If you're here tonight and you've already done that and you're saying, you know what, I can see, you know, I always thought that, you know, I was one of those categories and I certainly don't want to be in the first three, but I'm not really in the fourth one because I'm really, I'm not growing, I'm not producing, I'm not, I'm not putting forth tangible efforts and bringing tangible production where others can see it. I, I need to do that for Jesus. We'll pray for you. We'll help you. We'll even assign you a place that you can do that. If there's anything that we can do to help, please become a fruit producer for Jesus tonight, a stronger fruit producer right now as we stand and as we sing.